from St. Anne's Catholic Church in Broken Arrow, you are now listening to Forming Our Faith with Deacon Kevin. Padre Pio once said that it would be easier for the world to survive without the sun than to do so without the Holy Mass. Think about that for a second. The sun provides light and warmth, which is crucial for plants to grow. If we don't have plants growing, we don't have food. 70% of our planet's surface is water, and without the sun, that 70% of Earth's surface is ice. Life cannot survive without liquid water, so the absence of the sun means that our planet goes from teeming with life to an inert lump of rock and ice, just as dead and devoid of life as Mars or the moon. That's if we didn't have the sun. And Padre Pio is telling us that it's easier for the world to survive the catastrophe of losing the sun than it is for the world to survive without the mass. The temptation is to say that this obviously doesn't mean that the earth would cease to be without the mass. Humans endured for thousands of years prior to the coming of Christ and the advent of the mass. But the long millennia of human history before the advent of Christ and his church are not supposed to be templates for those of us who live in this age of grace. It doesn't really say much nor does it provide much comfort to say that cavemen didn't have the mass and they turned out just fine. They were cavemen, after all. Padre Pio is obviously speaking about supernatural life, not just natural life. But here's the thing. We were made for supernatural life. And this life and all that comes with it is merely a foretaste of the life we're meant to have for eternity. So Padre Pio's quote isn't merely hyperbole. If we were made for supernatural life and want to live that life to its fullest, we need the mass more than we need the sun to live our natural lives. If our natural lives wither and decay without the sun, our supernatural lives wither and decay without the mass. I think this image is a good thing to bring to your next mass. As you're preparing yourself for mask, ask yourself if the mass is absolutely indispensable for you. Scrutinize your conscience and motivations and priorities and figure out if the mass is for you like the sun, the one thing without which you'd shrivel up into a dead mass of rock and ice. Whatever you discover during that preparation and scrutiny, bring it to the Lord in prayer. If you notice that the Mass isn't that important to you, that you find yourself going to Mass to fulfill an obligation more than to commune with your Lord, ask God to fill your heart with love for Jesus so that you desire the Mass and all its graces. If you can say honestly that the Mass is your spiritual North Star without which you'd be lost, well then, thank God for His goodness and ask him to fill your heart with more love for Jesus. None of this, by the way, is said to be judgy. Each of us need the graces of the Mass to grow in holiness, and each of us needs to grow in holiness in a specific and particular way, a way unique to each person. It's nonsense for me to look down on you because your needs and holiness are different than mine. But it is most certainly not nonsense that I want you to grow in holiness. 
One of the things that seems to differentiate the Catholic understanding of the Church with other ones, ones held by Christians who are separated from the Church Jesus instituted, is that as Catholics, we are not content to focus only on our own salvation and our own relationship with our Lord and His Church. If you are my brother or sister in the Lord, I have to care about your salvation and your relationship with the Lord and with His Church. It's for this reason that the bishop or the pastor of your parish will not just encourage you and affirm you in the faith, he'll also admonish you for your sins and exhort you to repentance. The bishop, the priest, the person sitting next to you in the pew, all of them should want you to live a holy life just as much as they want holiness for themselves. They want to be saints, yes, but they want you, or they should want you, to be a saint too. The point of forming our faith isn't to fire lots of information about the Catholic Church at you for as long as you can stand. It's to help you understand that you were made to be a saint. You're called to be a saint. And that within the Church are all the graces you need to become a saint. Catholics really take Christ at his word. So when he promises that he is with us, that he becomes our food, that he will teach us and remind us of all we need, we trust him. We don't just remember that God has been good to his people in the past. We know that he is good to us right now and that his goodness endures forever. One of my direct ministries in the parish is to coordinate and conduct OCIA, the Order of Christian Initiation of Adults. You might know this as RCIA, but it's the process through which adults come into full communion with the Catholic Church. Recently, we had an OCIA session about the Mass, and I mentioned Padre Pio's quote to the men and women who have come to our parish this year. But I also upped the ante. Not only is the Mass necessary for our life even more so than the Son, I told them that their participation in the Mass is necessary to make Mass what it's supposed to be. Each of us has a role to play in the liturgy. That does not mean that everyone should be a reader or in the choir or a Eucharistic minister. A role in the liturgy doesn't mean that you do things during the Mass. The role most people play in the Mass is to pray, and to pray well. If you don't pray the Mass, or if you don't pray it well, the worship of God by the people of God is somehow affected and degraded. We should offer to God the best of what we are and the best of what we have. And that doesn't just mean that we use gold chalices and build churches that are magnificent. It also means that those who assemble to worship God are there, knowing that's what they're there for, and that they're ready, willing, and able to do just that. I've said in past episodes of Forming Our Faith, which you should definitely check out at the Diocese of Tulsa's YouTube or podcast channels, that the Mass is principally an act of worship, and worship requires a sacrificial offering to be made. The offering you make during Mass might look lots of different ways, 
But at the heart, what you're called to offer to God during the Mass is you, all of you. You are meant to present yourself to the Lord right here and now at this Mass you're attending, which means that the offering you make at this Mass is not the same as the offering you made at the last Mass you attended. You're not the same person now that you were at that last Mass. Maybe a week has gone by, and that week has been full of things that have changed the person you are, perhaps subtly, perhaps less than subtly. Since your last Mass, you've accumulated experiences that have cooperated with grace, some of them, or rejected grace, some of them. You've had moments of contact with holiness and others of contact with sin. And because all of this is known only by you, you have to be the one who examines yourself to know who you're offering to God and whether it's all of you. At this point, we're right at the end of the introductory rites. We've begun Mass with the sign of the cross and entered into the liturgical dialogue with the celebrant presider who stands in the person of Christ. We've acknowledged our sinfulness and our failure to live the lives of holiness which God has called us during the penitential rite. We've praised God along with the angels in the Gloria, and now we have this moment when what we're called to offer to God is vocalized in a prayer called the Collect. The priest introduces the Collect with an invitation to prayer. Let us pray. This sounds polite, but the mood of the invitation isn't shrouded in niceties. The mood is imperative. The priest is not saying to the assembly, he is telling the assembly, pray now. And if the priest is observing the rubrics for the Mass diligently, he'll actually allow some time in silence so that we can do what he's just told us to do. We've been ordered, as it were, to pray, and we're supposed to be mindful at this time of the sacrificial offering we're called to make to God. All of the preparation we've done before Mass has begun, in prayer and examination of conscience, is supposed to be brought to mind when the priest says, let us pray. Each member of the faithful should be doing this. And if we do, that means the Church is full of these heaps of intentions and offerings drawn forth from each member of the assembly. All of that needs to be collected and bundled together and offered to God, and that's what the Collect does. As the head of the assembly, the priest collects what each of us has just prayed about and gives voice to the prayer of the Church, the assembled people of God. So in one sense, the Collect is a sort of paraphrase of what the people of God should be praying on that feast, on that day, in that season. Back when I taught sacramental theology to high school students, I told them that the Collect was the thesis statement of the Mass. Think of the way the Mass is structured. There are things that always happen, but the way they happen differs depending on the day or the season. For instance, the priest always wears a chasuble, 
but the color of that chasuble isn't always the same. He'll wear green during ordinary time, violet during Advent or Lent, white during Christmas and Easter and saints' feast days, red on feasts of the Holy Spirit or martyrs, and maybe gold on the highest solemnities. That he wears a chasuble is a constant, but what it looks like changes. Another example, there's always a first reading and a responsorial psalm and a gospel at Mass, but what those readings are change every day. Well, the collect is like that. There always is one, but what it expresses changes depending on what the Mass celebrates and when the Mass is being celebrated. The general instruction says that through the collect, the character of the celebration finds its expression. This is a fancy liturgical way, more or less, of saying the collect is the Mass's thesis statement. Just as the thesis statement lays out what a research paper is going to do, the collect lays out why this Mass is being celebrated and what graces the people of God are asking for through and in this celebration. The collect is supposed to resonate with the themes of the Mass's readings or its other prayers, with the liturgical season, or with the saint whose feast is being celebrated. Because the collect differs pretty much every day, there's little chance that the priest would have them all memorized. That's why he prays the collect from the Missal. Since we're probably going to hear a different collect every time we attend Mass, there's little chance that we're going to learn them very well either. We gradually learn and memorize the stuff we do all the time, but we'd have to go to Mass for thousands of years, probably, to learn all the collects the way we know, say, the Gloria or the Creed. So when you hear the collect at the next Mass you attend, you're probably not going to recognize it. And unfortunately, we tend not to remember what we don't recognize. I'm saying all of this because I think it's a good spiritual practice to pray with the collect before you go to Mass. There are websites and apps that provide the texts for upcoming Masses. So if you're struggling to decipher what you need to offer at Mass, the collect can help you out. Familiarity with the collect can help you really pray when the priest invites you, let us pray, and makes it more likely that you spend those precious seconds actually praying and not just waiting for the Mass to progress. Some of the collects the Church prays at Mass are ancient, having been used at liturgies in the first centuries of the Church's existence. Others have to be rendered in our time, like when a new feast is instituted. But each collect, whether ancient or new, has similar elements. Each collect will invoke God and describe God in some way. Then each collect will ask God for something and then identify the desired result once God grants that thing. Now, liturgy buffs can go crazy analyzing collects, and that's not what this time in forming our faith is really about. But learning how to pray in and through the heart of the Church, that is what forming our faith is about. And the Collect is one of those places in the Mass you can learn how to do that well. And I'm going to suggest right here that if you spend a little bit of time with the Collect, 
it will be explosive for how you appreciate and ingest the meaning of the Mass. When it comes to the Church's biggest solemnities and feasts, the collects are downright poetic. They're saturated with imagery that causes our mental picture in the imagination to be vivid, detailed, robust. They cooperate with nature to reveal both who God is and what God has done. And they tell us something about ourselves, too. The examples I'll use here are taken from the Masses at Christmas. You know that Christmas is a holy day. So you go to Mass regardless of what day of the week Christmas falls on. But because it's a high solemnity, not all Christmas Masses are the same. There are different Masses with different collects for the Vigil Mass, which is on Christmas Eve, for Mass during the night, celebrated at midnight or after but before the sun has risen on the 25th, for Mass at sunrise on Christmas morning, and then for any other Mass on December 25th. The same feast, Christmas, gets prayed four different ways, depending on when you're doing the praying. And the collects are astonishingly, wonderfully different. Here's what you'll hear if you go to Mass on Christmas Eve. O God, who gladden us year by year as we wait in hope for our redemption, Grant that, just as we joyfully welcome your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, we may also merit to face him confidently when he comes again as our judge. A vigil celebrates a feast by anticipating it. So if you go to Mass for Christmas on December 24th, it's not the 25th yet. The Collect reflects that not-yetness by using many of the themes of Advent, waiting in hope, judgment, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. This collect doesn't say anything about what Christmas is about, the Incarnation, but really gives a summary of what Advent is about. We're celebrating Christmas, but we're praying as though it's still Advent, and the content of Advent is still in our hands. Compare that collect for Christmas Eve with the one for Mass during the day on Christmas Day. O God, who wonderfully created the dignity of human nature and still more wonderfully restored it, grant, we pray, that we may share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Gone is any mention of waiting, and it's silent about Christ coming as judge. Instead, this collect explicitly mentions what God has done in the Incarnation, become human. The tones of each collect are similar. They both speak of redemption and restoration, but they're not the same note. It's kind of like, taken all together, these collects are multiple parts of a symphony whose sound is the harmonious integration of several different notes. You'll hear one of these notes at the Mass you attend, but you'll get a more complete sense of everything the Church celebrates on Christmas if you're familiar with all of them. That kind of preparation takes some time, and it takes some attention, and you've got to intend to pray that deliberately 
and in that way. The church has given us all of these things to help our prayer, but we've got to actually use them. Admittedly, most days in the church don't have multiple collects, but every day in the church has one, and every collect shows us the mind and the heart of the church for that day, and maybe for that season. Here's how we begin Lent. This is the collect for Ash Wednesday. Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting, this campaign of Christian service, so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. That describes everything Lent is about, fasting, service, self-restraint, and spiritual battle against the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil. It's not just a thesis statement for that Mass, it's a description of what the entire season, Ash Wednesday Begins, is all about. I'm not trying to turn this into an academic exercise of analysis. There are people who study the liturgy as an academic subject and who could write dissertations about this. I'm not one of them, and I'm pretty sure most of you aren't either. Just knowing about the minutiae of the liturgy doesn't necessarily cause us to appreciate the liturgy more or enable us to recognize the graces of the liturgy more. So nobody needs a PhD to appreciate this part of the Mass. But we should appreciate what's happening at Mass and why it's happening. And the Collect is one of those places where the wellsprings of appreciation are deep, once we get a sense of what's really going on. After the Second Vatican Council, when the liturgy was being reformed, the Collect was unfortunately renamed the Opening Prayer. And that renaming kind of obliterated what the prayer is for because it loses the sense of gathering in the prayers of the entire assembly. And the Collect doesn't open the liturgy. It concludes the first part of the liturgy. Calling the Collect the opening prayer makes it seem like the things that came before, the procession, the genuflection before and reverence of the altar, the opening dialogues, the penitential rite, and the gloria were just preludes. And now is when the praying begins. And that turns the Mass into a confused jumble of events. And it's not easy to see how the parts of the Mass fit together into an intricate tapestry that shows us the people of God, the true and living God. Now, I've been accused at many times in the past of being nitpicky about things, and I'll I'm confident I'll stand accused of that in the future, too. I'm not meaning to be needlessly finicky here, but I need to emphasize that the way we talk about the Mass matters. And what I just described is a perfect example of the confusion that breeds when we talk about the Mass in ways that lack precision or which undercut the dignity of the sacred liturgy. If any of you listening or watching me are converts to Catholicism from Protestantism, you'll know that many Protestants call their assembly a service. But that's not what we call what we do as Catholics when we gather for worship. We call it the Mass. 
And we do so because its name emphasizes something crucial about the Divine Liturgy. Mass comes from the dismissal at the end of the liturgy. Ite misa est. Literally, this means go. It is sent. Mass ends with a command. Get out of here. Nourished at the table of the Lord, take what you have received into the world that so desperately needs what you have just gotten. This clues us into the fact that the heart of the Mass is not just what I get out of the Mass, but to whom and to where I bring what I have gotten out of the Mass. Calling the Mass the Mass reminds us that we are evangelists. We have the duty, the privilege, the obligation to share the gospel, the good news, to those who only know bad news. The best way to glorify God is to become a saint and to lead others to become saints. And that happens when we are dismissed from Mass and share God's grace with those who need it. I know I'm getting ahead of myself talking about the very end of the Mass when we just finished the first part of the Mass. But I bring it up because calling it Mass injects our worship of God with something very different than if we called it a service. Calling it the Collect does something that opening prayer doesn't. Remember, the goal is for your next Mass to be your best Mass. And knowing what things are called and why we call them that makes attaining that goal more plausible. It removes some of the confusion or ambiguity we can fall into and shows us without mistake, here's what's at stake. There's one last thing that needs to be said about the collect. And I'm saying it now because it's a big deal and is going to stay a big deal throughout the Mass. I'm pretty sure I've said several times since forming our faith began that everything in the Mass matters. The words we say matter. The actions we perform matter. The way the Church is adorned matters. The way the Church is built matters. The gestures we do matter. And all of this matters objectively. In other words, these things have their own meaning and integrity, independent of what I or you or anyone else thinks about them. Every facet of the Mass is designed to offer worship to God. And if we plumb the scriptures, for instances, when God tells his people how to worship him, it's made clear over and over that we do not invent the way to worship. We do what God has told us, either directly in his word or through his church. In its document on the liturgy, the Second Vatican Council said it this way, No other person, even if he be a priest, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on his own authority. I bring this up because of what the priest is doing when he prays the collect. He'll extend his hands in a position called the Arans, which looks kind of like this. The history of this position is a matter for another episode of Forming Our Faith, so I won't get into all of that right now. But the gist of it is that the Arans position is a sort of representation of the arms of Christ on the cross. 
The Urans is used in the church as a posture of prayer, but here's the important thing. It's a priestly posture. On the cross, we see Jesus Christ, both priest and victim, the one who offers the sacrifice that atones for sin and the sacrificial offering whose blood atones for sin. If we respect the integrity of the symbols of the Mass, we have to acknowledge that the Orans is the position of prayer for the priest, because at Mass, the priest stands in the person of Christ. No one else does, at least not in the same way, which means that no one else should assume this position at Mass. It's probably not the case that many of the faithful will wish to pray the collect in the Orans position. But there are other parts of the Mass when the Orans is used by the priest, and the faithful are tempted, and maybe even encouraged, to copy him. I'll probably have to spend a whole episode explaining that one. But, as the saying goes, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. The introductory rites at Mass don't consume much of the Mass's time. But as we've seen these last weeks, they're a rich source of reflection and they express what must be expressed as we gather to worship. That we want to worship God in ways that are worthy of Him. That we're unable to offer such worship because of our sin. That God has stepped into the human story to remedy the wound of our sin, and that restored by the redemption He accomplished for us, we can and should and must worship God. That's what we were made for. And that's what, God willing, we'll spend eternity doing. You can find more episodes of Forming Our Faith on the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Podcast.